Welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We have current ECHL head coach of the Reading Royals, Kirk McDonald, on the podcast. Uh, Kirk grew up in Victoria, British Columbia, before going on uh, to RPI, where he played for four years. And it actually took him five years to graduate because uh, right after his junior year, he was diagnosed with testicular cancer uh, and missed his entire senior year. Uh, before getting to fifth year. So we talk a lot about that on the podcast, inspiring story. Uh, After he uh, played for RPI, went on to play six years professionally, starting off as a teammate with uh, our boy Jeff Lavecchio in Boston and Providence. Uh, After he played uh, six years of pro, he went on to be a coach, first as a volunteer at RPI for a year, before moving on to the East Coast League, where he was three years an assistant at Reading, and three years as a head coach is where he is today. Uh, But before we do get to Kirk and what a conversation it was, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeff Lavecchio. Jeff, what is shaking today? Tell you right now, tell if my calves are getting bigger by the day. (laughs) Is that protein shake going right to the calves now or what? I'm just kidding. They're actually getting smaller. I've lost (laughs) freaking 14 pounds this off season because I don't have enough time to work out or eat for myself, but uh, it's not about me anymore. It's about my guys and I'll take it and I'll just have to get absolutely yoked during the season when I don't have to work as much. 14 olbs. 14 LBs, which is like literally the most devastating thing ever to me mentally, but oh, help my guys and makes me feel good. So I'll hey, take it. Well, we talk about on this podcast episode with K-Mac, we talk a lot about adversity. You're going through some adverse times right now. How are you going to like, what kind of choices are you going to make right now, Jeff? I'm going to make good choices. I'll do my calf raises before I go to bed. Thank you for the reminder. <laughs> How many calf raises <laughs> would it take for you to actually have normal size calves, like a thousand a night or what? At least a billion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Anybody who knows you that's listening to this right now is absolutely howling the fact that you're talking uh, about yeah. your calves. Uh, absolutely devastating. Let's move on to Kirk. Um, <laughs> a great human being, one of my former teammates. And one of the coolest stories that I I was able to uh, witness firsthand while I was playing professionally. Kirk was just a great guy. He started out just not, I don't want to say just, but he started out as a call up to us in Providence and immediately like cemented himself as a permanent fixture on the team. Even if he gets sent down for like a day or something, he'd come right back up and was just such a hard worker. He did all the little things. Our coaches loved him. The boys loved him. Um, you know, and his story, which you listeners will hear coming up here in a few minutes, it's everything we're about, you know, adversity makes you tougher, makes you stronger. And look at him now. I mean, he's, he's an unbelievable coach, two steps away from coaching in the NHL. He's coaching in the East coast hockey league, uh, turning, turning a lot of good players into American hockey league players. So it's very cool. Yeah, for sure. I feel like this conversation was like such an unbelievable mix of like kind of what the podcast is about education and inspiration, you know, like his story and and what he had to endure uh, while he was playing in college and and what he was able to do after that. Um, It's just incredible and inspiring. And then we got into a lot of like really good hockey 
hockey development talk too. And it was cool to hear his perspective on it at the level that he coaches at. And um, I just thought like, this is one of my favorite ones that we've done so far. Not even close. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just reminded me I'm, I'm over here bitching about losing 14 pounds. K-Mac lost 65 pounds while playing division one college hockey while he was being recruited by tons of NHL teams and he's in the hospital with cancer. So Jeff, shut up. <laughs> uh, hey, it's a good reminder, right? Yeah. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I, I remember, so I got traded from Boston to Florida, my third year pro. And I, be, I don't know if it was that year or the next year, um, you know, K-Mac got called up from the East Coast to, to Providence. And then I think the, he was a call up the whole year. Maybe the next year he was on an A deal. That was my healthy year. And then the next year I got traded and he either signed an NHL deal with Boston in the middle of the year or the year after. And I remember being in Rochester playing in the American League for Florida's farm team and, and hearing that Boston had signed him to an NHL two way. And I cried. Because I, you know, I obviously went through kind of a traumatic experience, but, you know, I wouldn't say it was life life threatening. And, you know, he had cancer, he had testicular cancer. And, you know, if you, if you, he went from losing 65 pounds, being in the hospital for 60 straight days. And, you know, five years later, he, he signs an NHL deal in the middle of the year. And what an unbelievable story, an unbelievable guy. He was a character guy in the locker room and on the ice. Um, he wasn't a fighter by any means, but man, he was tough as nails and he was a lefty. And when he had to stand up for himself or a teammate, he would. And, you know, I think we were pretty similar players. He, I'm sure he was more skilled before his injury than I was. Um, but he kind of played that, you know, second to fourth line role could kind of slot in anywhere there and was a great player and a great guy, great teammate. And, you know, I have a guy, Mike Hunterbrink, who played for him the last two years in the East Coast League and absolutely loved him as a coach and said the same thing, you know, like he's a great guy, has character, cares about his players, uh, you know, just just a great story and, and a cool guy. And I was really excited to kind of reminisce with him. It, it sounded like he had a dilly going off in the background. He got so many calls there, his phone was vibrating <laughs> left and right. Well, it's that time of year for those guys. They're they're trying to put together the roster for for next year's team, and that is not an easy thing to do, as we'll talk about on the podcast uh, for sure. East Coast League coach, that is that's a tough job. That is a tough job for sure. But uh, yeah, I was really excited to get him on. Um, remember playing against him when he was at RPI and everything that you're saying. That's kind of what you saw in playing against him too. And I was at Cornell when he was going through his tough time with cancer. And you know, I'll, I'll never forget kind of hearing that and, and just seeing kind of how the RPI community and, and the college hockey community kind of rallied around him. And um, yeah, just I mean, it's you never want to hear that. That's you know, cancer is a scary thing, but at the end of the day, he was able to beat it. And, uh, you know, like he said on the podcast, better than ever been. Yeah. And, and perspective. I mean, I think, you know, we always say it, but it is literally one of the most important things in life. It's one of the most important things in sports, in hockey in everything, relationships. Like if you don't get perspective from this conversation, you need to just take yourself to the vet and be put down because, <laughs> If you as a player or you as a parent are worrying about your 12-year-old or 13-year-old or whatever year old kid being cut from a team and the world is – the sky is falling and you're lashing out and being pissed off, stop. Kirk literally almost – you know, what – he had a lot of bad stuff happen to him. He still wound up signing an NHL deal and was playing in the second best league in the world a few years later. Like – that it, your kid is not going through that. Your kid got cut. Like let's, let's 
have some perspective, let your child learn from that experience and allow them to grow from it. Don't, don't be that parent who's calling the coach and being like, why did my kid get caught? And yada, yada, yada. And teaching your kid to put blame on others. Look internally, see what you can do and get better. Get better every day, baby. Give more, be more. That's right. That's right. How pumped are you right now that your bracelets came in? Yeah, they just came in while we were actually on the podcast. I heard the doorbell ring and I went and just opened them up. And, you know, I'm excited. I've had a lot of people message me and ask me, oh, how much do they cost and whatever. And, you know, I only ordered a couple hundred to give, you know, I, I probably, I probably train right now a little over a hundred guys in the summer. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to give it to them all for free, but, uh, if anybody wants one message me or whatever, and I'll figure out, you know, probably make it a dollar, um, to send it somewhere. So, but, uh, you know, I'm just excited to help anyone in any way I can. Love it, man. Love it, man. Well, I feel the same way. And one of the ways that we're doing that is through the coaching conference in Chicago and not even necessarily a coaching conference. I think like, I think players would get huge benefit from coming to this thing, honestly, because uh, like all we're going to talk about is hockey development and we're going to talk about hockey development in like a way that it's not PowerPoint. I know I say this all the time. It's not PowerPoint presentation of people. You're going to be able to ask questions. You're going to be able to talk to all the unbelievable people that are going to be there. I tell you what, I cannot wait for that player development conference. It is going to be so awesome. And like August, August 3rd cannot come soon enough. Yeah. I mean, I'm stoked. Like I actually, it's funny, like people don't know this, but like I definitely get a little bit nervous speaking in front of crowds. Like when I start, once they get going, like it's okay. And I'll be sweating like a beast when I'm doing it for sure. <laughs> no doubt. If anybody does a pit check on me, it'll be pretty tough because I'll have to show what I'm working with. I'm going to have to double up the deodorant on that day. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to learn. Like, you know, we had um, Vinny on, on the podcast, was that two weeks ago? Yeah. And just like a simple idea we had from him, which something he did with his players, I learned from and I'm going to use moving forward as a coach and as a trainer. And And we have so many top level people that you recruited to come and speak at this conference. It is, it's unbelievable. Like you can't get this stuff anywhere else, have access to these people and their minds and their experiences, which is everything. I mean, I learn more from talking to people through their experiences than I do from a book or from this or from that. Like, I want to learn, like, what have you learned going through? Why were you successful? Why did you fail? What did you learn from that? Like, it's going to be unbelievable. I'm so stoked. And I know that I'm going to learn a lot for sure. Yeah. And, uh, we're piggybacking that. It's going to be an unbelievable weekend, man, because Saturday we have our player development conference. Uh, we'll be able to hear all those people speak. And then that Sunday we're putting together uh, a charity hockey game as well to benefit special Olympics, Chicago. So, um, special Olympics is, is, uh, an organization that's very near and dear to me, uh, having family members that have special needs. Um, so we're getting a lot of really, really big names coming together. Uh, our biggest name right now is Kendall coin Schofield. top women's player in the world she's unreal she's playing in the game and and uh josh paul is actually too uh one of the top sled hockey players is going to be playing in the game too along with a bunch of nhl players i've won jeffrey levecchio um get a lot of really cool people so i'm just really excited for the weekend um i know i'm going to grow so much from the conference and from from with the charity game too so um yeah the first weekend in august can't come soon enough man i can't wait for sure. And, and if anybody's listening to this and they're an ex-NHL player or they know NHL players that want to come and play in the charity game, reach out to us. I mean, we're, we're never 
going to turn anyone down that's going to put some more butts in the seats. I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about what you raised the first year and what what you're at now. I mean, you've raised a ton of money, Tove. It is so awesome. But that being said, let's keep growing. Let's keep getting better, baby. Let's raise more money. So if anybody wants to come and sponsor the, the game, let us know. Like, we want to raise as much money as we can for people that have special needs. You know, they, they need our help, and, and this is a great way to do it, a super fun way. There's lots of sponsorship opportunities left. If you want to play in the game, you know, talk to Tof about what it's going to take for you to get to play alongside, you know, the NHL players and Tofer and myself and, you know, Josh Pauls, a guy I train who is an unbelievable human, coming out with a book pretty soon here, too. Hey, He'll be on the podcast soon so we can pump the tires for that beast but you know kendall coin we had her on the on the podcast early on like it's a lot of great people you know we're gonna have time good time be in the locker room shoot the shit have fun play a game probably drink some adult beverages possibly and have a good time so if you're looking to sponsor or you're looking to get involved reach out to either tofer or myself and, and uh you know tofer figure out a way to make it happen yeah absolutely man you were on a roll there i could not have said it better well, that's why I said it. <laughs> that's why you are the talent of the podcast. Uh, no, but seriously, if you're you're looking into uh, you know the the hockey development conference, or you uh, want to be a part in any way possible, even if you want to volunteer, even if you don't have you know money to sponsor or anything like that, and you just want to volunteer for the event, uh, shoot me an email, tofer at thehockeythinktank.com. And uh, we'll make it happen. But uh, I can't wait for that. But also can't wait for you guys to hear Kirk McDonald's story. Um, so without further ado, let's bring it on over to KMAC, Kirk McDonald. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, current head coach of the Reading Royals in the ECHL, Kirk McDonald. KMAC, how are we doing today? Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, excited to join you. Oh man, we're excited to have you too. I always love to have one of uh, one of Vex's former teammates on the podcast, just so we can give him a little bit of crap. So, um, before we even start and talk about your journey, uh, what was what was Vex like as a teammate when you played together in Providence? Great, great guy. Just uh, I, I hate to say it, but uh, he's a tough road roomie. Uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, explain. You don't sleep much with Vex. Uh, he, uh, he, he snores. Uh, I think we, do we have one training camp together? Like, I think we spent like 10 straight. We spent like the week before camp. Like we got a room. I feel like, like for like in Boston Gates before Boston camp. And then, uh, training camp, we were together again. And it was like 10, it was like two weeks. I think we were together. You sawed logs for two straight weeks. Like it was, <laughs> it was like nothing I've ever seen before. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. When I got traded to Florida and I was playing in Rochester, I literally got my own room on the road as like a third year guy because my snoring was so bad. But (laughs) yeah, I swear to God, I was the only guy on the team that had his own room and it was because nobody wanted to sleep with me. And, uh, you know, I had my nose broken five times, so my, I can only breathe out of one nostril, like halfway at a time. So it's not my fault. And maybe I'm just smarter than everyone else. And I got my own room on the road so I could, you know, stretch naked in there. Not a big deal. (laughs) It's a savvy play if that was the case. (laughs) 
Oh, all right. Enough about you. Let's get to K-Max story because, dude, you got an awesome story. Um, but let's bring it way back to the beginning because you grew up in one of my favorite cities in the freaking world in Victoria, B.C. Um, I, one of my favorite things about coaching in college was taking the ferry from Vancouver over to Vancouver Island and spending a couple days over there. So uh, if you can, kind of give us a little bit of a glimpse into you growing up and, and how you fell in love with the sport out west. Well, actually – now to go if you want to go all the way back i was actually born in halifax nova scotia oh wow okay and other side of my, the country <laughs> yeah coast to coast and when i was seven my dad got the job as uh the director of athletics at the university of victoria so we moved out west and kind of uh had started playing hockey before we moved but pretty much most of it was kind of in the backyard rink and nothing a whole lot not a lot of organized hockey i think i just started the fall before we moved we moved at christmas and then went out west and kind of from then on it was i mean i played every sport there was growing up but you know i think i was probably better at a couple other ones than hockey but i just loved playing hockey you know like no matter what uh, you know hockey always took priority no matter what uh played you know triple a peewee bantam through midge played a year of midgets uh played grade 11 and 12 uh for the beat uh sorry for uh, the victoria salsa i was gonna say grizzlies but they were the salsa back when i was playing uh graduated high school went to rpi spent five glorious years there getting beat up a couple times by cornell uh, <laughs> and then obviously moved on to to pro hockey for six years playing but uh it was an you know awesome experience i think some of the best memories are from playing when you're a kid you know not necessarily like playing pro hockey was cool because you get paid to play but you know I, I don't know about you guys but looking back at going to tournaments and and just having fun playing you didn't really think about anything you know you're just playing hockey yeah, absolutely. I mean, whenever we kind of talk about our youth hockey careers on this podcast, I can see, like, Jeff certainly, when he talks about it, lights up a little bit, except for when he played against us and we smoked him without a goalie. Um, <laughs> but other than that, you know, um, yeah, youth hockey's the best, but I, I, I wanted to because, like, you played for a couple guys at RPI uh, that I know that uh, are, like, just characters and, and really good coaches. And the first guy I want to ask you about, obviously, is doing really, really well right now, and that's Jim Montgomery. Uh, he was an assistant coach at RPI when you were there. Uh, he's now, obviously, the head coach in, in Dallas and has moved his way through the ranks. What, what was it about Monty, you think, that made him such a good coach and has allowed him to have all this success in the hockey world? You know, I think one thing for him, like, obviously, Monty was an unbelievable college player, I think was he third or fourth all time in points, but sometimes you see guys like that and they can't kind of relate to players or they can't get their message across. Cause they're just thinking the game at a whole other level. And he was really good at, you know, breaking the game down, pr- making it pretty simple. I know obviously his, it was his first paid coaching gig. Uh, my, my fifth year at RPI, he came on with Seth and it, it, you know, obviously things had kind of gotten stale, but not for, lack of effort prior to that and they came in and as a fifth year senior it was it was pretty cool to to be working with them you know you didn't have that kind of freshman sophomore year where you hate the coach because they're all over you like at that point I was the captain of the team like we had more of a grown-up relationship and I just always found like Monty you could joke around with him when it was time to joke around but like he made sure everybody knew when it was time to dial it in and it was business like we got to work, you know, whether it was a meeting or practice or a game, 
like he was the most intense guy there was, but as soon as it was over, as it was over, it was over, you know? And I think that goes a long way for players. Like he was just normal, you know, there was no, okay, Monty's the coach. So we can't talk to him. You know, he was just a, he was your coach. We knew who he, we knew he was one of the coaches and that you respected him, but you could still joke around and, and kind of have a good time with him. And I, I think that's something that he's kind of carried on through being in Dubuque and Denver and now in Dallas that that's given him a lot of success. Like, Obviously, the X's and O's and the way he sees the game is at another level, but there's a lot of smart guys out there. But he, he does a really good job, I think, of relating to the guys. My, my new assistant coach that I just hired uh, a couple weeks ago played for Monty and Dubuque and kind of said the exact same thing about him. I think that's I think that's something really interesting that you just touched on, Mac. <clears throat> I, I feel like when we were coming up in hockey, um, you know, and Tofa and I have talked about this quite a bit, is that it was such a, a segregated thing between the coaches and the players. Like the coaches were the coaches, the players were the players, and you didn't really talk that much other than hockey and what's going on in the game. And when you'd lose, it was like coaches versus the players. Like yeah. Oh, I'm angry. I hate you. You lost the game. And it's like, well, <laughs> is that what they sounded like that? No, that's what they were thinking. Or that's what we as players, did you not think that when you'd play? Yeah, you're terrified, a game? Like what's practice going to, what's the next practice going to be like? like exactly. Yeah. So you you're, gonna... you're gripping your stick in the next yeah. practice, maybe even the next game, super yeah. tight, afraid to make a play. And then that's when more mistakes are probably going to happen. Whereas you know, obviously you can get upset as a coach. There's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly fine, especially if there's a lack of effort, lack of attention to detail, things like that. But like you just said, when the game's over, it's over. You can get upset. The next day you come in, it's a new day. You can still look back at that game and be like, boys, let's look at why we fell apart. What, what did we do wrong? Stuff like that. But if you're just like screaming at the guys and yelling at them, like I personally believe you can hold people accountable without treating them like they're little children. Yeah, no, for sure. Like it's, it's just, it's different, right? Like we all, like I played for some coaches that found out they really liked me and I had said two words to them for like two years, you know, (laughs) and you're like, oh, really? You know, and now you see them as a coach and I'll see them places and it's like, I was never a player and they won't have a beer and be normal. And it's like, why weren't you just normal when you were coaching? You know, like we all know who the boss is. Like we said, I don't know. Like I, I was listening to, who was it? Rick Tockett did an interview on spit, spit and chicklets. He was that on was play. unreal. Unreal but interview. I, I, I was like, yeah, like I, I know I'm the coach. The players know I'm the coach. Like just be a normal guy. You know, like you said, like if you walk into a restaurant and the players are in there, you don't have to leave or vice versa maybe have a beer with them and then say bye. Like you don't have to act like they're, you know, they've got the plague and go somewhere else. And I just, I I thought it was great. Like just the way he, he talked about stuff is uh, very, I guess, forward thinking. I don't know. Like he did a, he did a presentation at uh, the NHL draft coaches conference. They, uh, they had like a breakout session with like groups of 10 to 15. And I actually ended up being in his and it was, you know, we were talking about power play stuff and he was really, really good. And then I kind of, I saw that he was going to be on the podcast. So I listened to it and it was just the way he talked about dealing with players and stuff like that. It was like, you can see why guys want to play for him. Like Phil Castle wants to go to Arizona because he's the coach, right? Like you can kind of, it all makes sense now after listening to the, to the interview. Yeah. It's almost like, and we've talked about this on the podcast all the time. He just, he's just himself. 
Like he doesn't yeah. try because he now has the title of head coach or anything. Like he didn't change. Like yeah, there's other, yeah. And then there's other responsibilities that you have and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, the best coaches are just kind of like the best versions of themselves as in any profession, even as players. I think that's really important. I, I, I heard that interview. So for anybody listening, um, that interview on spitting chicklets with, with Rick talk, it was one of the best I, I think I've ever heard. So I, I totally agree with you, man. That was unreal. Yeah. Like oh. some, Obviously, some of the stuff on that are, is pretty fluff, but it, it, that was, I was like, geez, this is, you know, kind of as a coach, I'm like, I, that's hopefully how I'm trying to be, you know, and I, I, I thought it was great. Yeah, it's just uh, like so straightforward, too, you know. Go ahead, Vex. Yeah. I was just going to say, okay, spit and chicklets, we gave you a plug on our podcast. Now you <laughs> give us a plug on yours. <laughs> yeah. Love that. Love that. Uh, but your your time at RPI, your your college experience, K Mac was, uh, you know, it was not normal to say the least. Uh, in the fact that you went through a, a really really tough time when you were there, I believe it was uh, during probably the the last half of your junior year. Is that when everything kind of started? Yeah, r- r- right around Christmas time, started to have issues, and you know, hockey players like we all thought it was just something that we'd fix when the season was over, and it just didn't get better <laughs> so obviously found out what it was and and it you know obviously uh shocking to say the least but you know it it's something that happened you know I, I i don't know i guess for those listening like i was diagnosed with testicular cancer in april of 05 now geez 14 years ago but you know i i started having symptoms probably around christmas and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and like literally wouldn't practice at the end of the year i would just go on the ice for like power play on Thursday, get off, don't take skate Friday morning, play the games Friday, Saturday, and then not skate all week, wow. you know, and by then, and then we lost in Brown uh, first round of the playoffs and kind of then trying to started to figure out what was going on and was getting MRIs, getting all these tests on it. Couldn't figure out what it was. And then I got, I, I got a CT scan of my abdomen and it were where it spread. The, the tumor was huge at that point and it was like okay panic mode time like how you know in to see every doctor i think i had surgery within a couple days and you know was having chemo geez i think i i got diagnosed on the fifth i think i started chemo on like april 12th fourteenth, wow. something like that like it was it was like they were looking back i should have known that probably they were it was not very good when I got diagnosed just based on how fast everything happened. Right. Like if it's not bad, they're like, all right, we can wait a month or whatever until things. And, and now looking back, I had surgery and started chemo and within a week I had both, I had done both, you know? Um, so it was, you know, quite the experience. I think it was six months total uh, of treatment in and out of the hospital, spent about 90 of those days of the six months. So basically half the time in the hospital. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, like I said, quite the ordeal. I think I went in to, when I started and found out what was wrong with me. I was 195 pounds when I got out of the hospital in October in Vancouver. I was 130. And as you can imagine, what that would look like, six foot two, and kind of basically was starting from scratch and had till October of 06 to get ready, I guess was the, the positive, lots of time. But it was uh, definitely a uh, life changing experience. Now looking back, it, you know, it sucked, but it taught you a lot, right? Like, I'm still here, so I'm not going to say it's negative. It, you know, it sucked, but 
I think it probably helped with some aspects of life and the way you look at things compared to probably how I was before. What would you say, what would you say you learned about yourself during that time? Because, you know, when you're going through something like that, I have to imagine you have a lot of time to reflect and and perspective is something that we talk about a lot on this podcast and how important it is and how beneficial it can be to your, you know, your health and well-being. So, um, what, what did you learn about yourself kind of going through that whole thing? I think probably that, you know, you're, not just myself, but I think these people like you're, you're capable of withstanding a lot more than I think anybody gives themselves credit for until you're put in a situation where you have to do it, you know, and it kept thinking like, it can't get any worse. This can't get any worse. You know, I remember going through it and just to give you an idea. So I went through, I had the first surgery and I had four rounds of chemo, which ended like somewhere middle of June, if I, if I can remember correctly. And then I had to have some of the tumor was left over in my abdomen. I had to go in August 2nd and I had to go to Vancouver because it was the only hospital in BC, uh, that, that had a doctor that performed the surgery I had to have. And so they went in and it was supposed to be a four hour surgery, ended up being nine. And so obviously you're out for nine hours. Surgery was a success. Cancer's gone, but body didn't exactly react uh, the, how it was supposed to. So a month later, I'm still in the hospital. Uh, I'd had a fever the whole time. Uh, found out I had a staph infection by coughing one day and my incision from the original surgery split open, went into surgery again, uh, to have it cleaned out. And then another three weeks later, I had another complication with a, um, blockage in my intestine where the food literally couldn't get through from all the sur- the stuff before. So I was just throwing up everything I ate, had to go in and have another surgery to have that fixed. And then finally that kind of started everything. So about 10 days after the last surgery, I ended up going home, but total, it was four rounds of chemo and four operations that were, uh, none of them were minor, I guess, as you can say. So like taking from what I learned, like going to work out and like when I was people were kind of looking at you like, you're not going to play again when I'm 140, 150 pounds. Like that was, that was easy, right? Like getting up and doing two a days for four months is a joke, like big deal. Like it was, I look back now that my, my, one of my best times in college was that Oh six spring semester. Cause I just was a college student and worked out. I didn't go on road trips, kind of hung out back. I was just a normal kid. I went, went and worked out lots, but kind of got to have some fun and, work my bag off like it was a long long road to kind of get back to where I was but at the same time it you know it was worth it you know putting the time in like it, you know playing that first game in 06 coming back we played BU at home and it was a madhouse standing room only like it was it was it was it was worth it and and it just you look back and what it taught you is you're really capable of more than you, you you're always capable of more is kind of what, what I always thought from that experience. Cause I never would have thought I'd been able to go through it until I did. And then you're like, okay, I, you know, now a lot of the other stuff in life looks pretty easy. That's crazy. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And, uh, you know, the, one of the things that you mentioned that I want to kind of prod you on a little bit more is you talked about the, your support network and the people. Um, I know that while you were going through your hardship that you had, 
uh, teammates that were actually shaving their heads kind of in support for you. And they were raising money for the Lance Armstrong Foundation as you were going through your struggles. What did that mean to you and how did that kind of help you to, to get through your, your lowest of lows of times? Yeah, honestly, it was awesome. Like the guys were great. It was kind of one, um, I was actually one of my really good friends that graduated in 05. I was just out in Seattle with them. And we were talking about this cause, uh, you know, like it, it's just, it comes up. Right. And, and I remember one, like right after I got diagnosed, like I wasn't, it wasn't like I couldn't do anything. And I, <laughs> the guys were in the springtime, right. They're having a good time on the weekends. And it was like, I just got diagnosed and we, the guys were playing like a, having a wiffle ball tournament or something like that in the afternoon. And it was like, they still kind of, they made me come play wiffle ball. Like I couldn't go out and have beers with them after, but it was like, just treat me like I'm normal you know what I mean? And there was nothing wrong. And I, and I remember that like guys, would, I was in the hospital for 65 consecutive days and from October, I, I think it was August 2nd to October 5th, I think, or six, one of those days. It was the day after the NHL lockout was uh, over. That's how I can remember. It was the first game after the season got canceled. I got out the next morning. Anyways, we were, I was sitting in my hospital bed in Vancouver, obviously pretty depressed. I've been in the hospital for almost two months and I would be getting calls on Saturdays at like 11 o'clock at night, which is 2 AM in, in Troy. Right. And the guys are just, <laughs> the boys are just in one, right? Like they're, they're in one, they're at, they're, they're at the rock or whatever. And they're calling like yelling at me into the phone. And it was like, those are the best part. Like that, that made me feel better than any card or anything like that. Like, you know, like we all know how it is to be on a team. Like, sometimes some guys aren't there and you're just like, ah, oh, he's not there. Like you don't talk about him. He doesn't exist. You know what I mean? We all know what I mean. Like some guys don't there that they just kind of forget about you, you know? And that was kind of, it was awesome. Right. And it made you want to come back. I, the first day I came back, I got off the flight. I came back in November. Like the whole team was waiting at the airport for me. Like that stuff makes you want to be invested in the group. Right. And it was, and it helped me want to get better and want to get back and, and, you know, like, like I think we can all say, like a lot of your friends from school or some of your best friends, like, you know, I, we always still get together once a year, and and the you know my classmates, the guys that did the the couple guys, Kevin Croxton and Keith McWilliams, they started the head shaving thing. Like it was awesome, you know, like they would, every every home game, they would do it, and it was just, I think it was great. It galvanized the the, the the campaign they started that to raise money, like really kind of brought the school together a little bit too forget about me it was you know they did a really good thing for everybody and uh it was awesome right like you kind of find out who your friends are in times like that and i was pretty lucky that's so cool mac and something that we talk about on this podcast a lot is is perspective and obviously you had to gain tons of it as you've already hit on i mean i'm looking at your numbers right now and your freshman year you had six points in 28 games your sophomore year, you had 34 and 39. Your junior year, you had 36 and 37. And I remember playing with you in Providence and seeing your scar and guys telling me, like, what had happened and, and talking to you. And then guys telling me, like, you know, you had tons of NHL teams looking at you after that junior year. And then you were diagnosed with cancer and you missed your whole next year, which you just talked about. Yeah. But then you come back and you just said you were 130 pounds when you started and you still put up 
27 points in 33 games your senior year and immediately went to the AHL, scored a goal and had three points in 12 games. And obviously what you went through is extremely on the intense side, but like I, I'm trying to, you know, we have a lot of kids that listen to this podcast and tryouts just happened. And, you know, I trained some guys who haven't made a junior team yet or got cut from their AAA team. And, and kind of what would you say to them as far as perspective and things like that? Because they're just getting cut and I see their faces and their parents are panicking and they're like, oh my God, the sky's falling. He's never going to do anything in hockey because he's 13 and got cut from a triple A team. But here you are, Kirk McDonald <laughs> on the verge of signing an NHL deal and you wind up in the hospital with intense, crazy surgeries, you know, you lose 65 pounds and you come back and you still, you know, down the road, wind up signing an NHL deal, which I'm sure we'll hit on soon here. But what, what, what could you say to people as far as like learning, trying to learn from experiences and, and just know that whatever happens today, tomorrow's not over. Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, sometimes adversity is, is a, is a good thing, right? Like, something we just it's funny we were just at development camp with philly last week two weeks ago and we were sitting there in the coach's office and uh there was another guest coach along with the staff you know myself as a guest coach as well and and from sweden and he was talking like like something is will is a skill right like stick handling is a skill uh you know skating is a skill but so is will willing to like go through difficult situations and work right and i think there's always going to be adversity like you're going to get cut from a team like things aren't going to go the way you want but i mean at the end of the day kind of in my opinion the people that have success are the people that find a way to use that adversity as motivation instead of just kind of blaming the coach didn't like me the coach is stupid or you know it was political, like big deal. Like how do you bounce back from that? You know, are you, are you going to find a way to what, what from that situation can make you better, you know? And yeah, it stunk. Like I, I had dinner with, geez, what was his name? He's the assistant GM in Anaheim. Dave McNabb, I think, um, was the guy kind of finding all those guys back in the day, Andy McDonald, <laughs> Dustin Penner, the free agent guys. Yeah. And, um, and I had dinner with him like a week before I got diagnosed. And he's like, when the NHL lockout ends, you know, we are definitely interested in signing you. Cause there was no CBA at that point. Like that was the year that got canceled. So even if I was healthy, I couldn't have signed a deal cause there was no NHL deal to sign. But like teams where we were talking to teams and eight back then, nobody had agents, right? Like I was getting recruited by all these agents and then it was just like, wow, wow, wow. But that being said, I don't know. It just, how do you find a way to get through that? I, I don't know if there's necessarily a, you know, there's no magic potion, but at the end of the day, I think like adversity is good for people. You got to understand we're all going to go through it. And that, how do you, how do you find a way to make yourself better because of it? You know? Yeah, for sure. No adversity, all adversity is it's uh, it's an opportunity to grow in disguise. Like exactly. it's really, yeah. and, and what I talk about with kids all the time is like, you know, physically, when you're working out your muscles, what are you doing to your muscles? You're breaking them down, right? You're yeah. breaking them down, breaking them down, just like tough times break you down mentally. Well, how do you treat your muscles? And Jeff, I mean, you could talk to this, you're the nutrition guy or whatever, but you have to treat your body right, and that's what makes your muscles really big. 
Well, same thing when it comes to mentally, when the tough times happen, like how are you treating yourself and how, what kind of people are you surrounding yourself with to, to get you through all this stuff? Like, are you surrounding yourself with people who make excuses for you? Are you surrounding yourself with people who, um, you know, are, don't have your best interests at heart? Are you surrounding yourself with people who are honest with you? Are you surrounding yourself with people who have your best interests at heart and help you get through those kinds of things? So like adversity is the best teacher of all, but a lot of times we don't notice it at the time. We, we notice it years later or months later or whatever, when I think if we can teach kids that, Hey, like let's deal with this adversity right now. And this is actually a good thing for you. Oh my God. Like talk about a skill. What a skill to have. I wish I had that skill more when I was playing in college and and growing up for sure. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's kind of, I think that's why there's the guys that make the NHL that the McDavid's Crosby's that, you know, let's be honest, don't really face any resistance on their way to a 20 year NHL career. But for basically the other 95% of guys that, that make it to that level, that at some point in their career, they went through something where they were like, this is, this isn't going like, this isn't going well. Right. Like, okay, how do I get around it? How do I fix it? You know, what, whether for some guys it's getting sent to the minors, you know, everybody's perspective on adversity is different, but how do you find a way to, to kind of, like you said, persevere and, and kind of build yourself back up? Yeah. And, and just to give, just to give a little insight into what Kirk was able to do after his cancer and missing a whole year and coming back. Like I just re, like I just said, you know, he came back and he put up 27 and 33 uh, after his year off winds up being in the NHL and Kirk over the next few years in his career wound up playing 272 games in the AHL where he had 106 points. He was an assistant captain in the American league, his second to last year. He won a Kelly cup championship in the East coast league as an assistant captain. And now he's a head coach in the, in the East coast league where he's, you know, one step away in the AHL, maybe getting a coaching gig soon. And then he's in the NHL, you know, like it's unbelievable. And I'm who knows what would have happened if he stayed healthy his whole career. And we can't say that, but like he was able to come back. So for all you parents right now who are listening to this, who are panicking because their kid didn't make a team, like it's okay. It's probably a good thing. They got cut. My dad and I always talk to each other about two huge turning points in my own career. One of them was me getting cut in squirts. And one of them was me not making the festival at select 15. Those two turn like those made me work harder, work smarter, evaluate what I was doing, all those things and learn to work harder. And like Tove said, and, and K Mac said, like will is a skill. It You, you don't just, throw it out and stop being working on mental toughness. When things go bad, that's when you dig down deep and believe even more in yourself and the people around you and finding good people to work with so that they can bring you back even stronger. Yeah. And will is a skill too. Like even, you know, when we talk about skills, typically we're talking about hockey things. How do you work on hockey skills? You get to, you got to develop great habits and you have to make great choices every day. Well, if you want to work on your will, you have to understand that bad stuff happens pretty much every day. Like every day we're faced with choices that we have to make where we can go positive or we can go negative. And like, if we're talking about will as a skill, work on it, understand that you can work on it every day and get better at it by when the bad things happen, because they will, how are you treating yourself? 
like, how are you choosing to see the situation that year? And are you playing the victim card? Or are you saying like, Hey, this is an opportunity to get better. It's a challenge that I need to face and, and grow. And I feel the people that have that growth mindset, you know, like you did K Mac going through your tough time and Jeff with your concussions, like we've all been through, um, a lot of tough stuff. I mean, 88% of the players that played in the NHL a couple of year, years ago played in the AHL, right? Like nine out of 10 players got cut and had to go yep. get better down in the AHL before they were told that they can come back up. Like it's will, I think is, is the most important skill that you can have. If you want to have a hockey career, what do you guys think? I, I don't disagree. I mean, especially the higher you go up, the competition is it's for, for spots or jobs or scholarships or whatever. It's harder and harder the the, the older you get. Right. And the, the field thins itself out. All of a sudden you're competing against guys that are, on the same level as you and their work ethic and their, their talent, they skate as fast, but you know, it's what can you do to kind of separate yourself from the, from the field? And are you willing to do just a little bit extra, you know? And I, I've seen it, you know, like I've seen it with the guys even now that I've coached that find a way to make, make a career in the American league and give themselves a chance to get called up to the NHL. Like they're just willing to do a little bit more than, some other guys are right. Like, I think that's, especially at at my level, like the talent's not much different than the American league, but you know, those guys kind of, they might get a little extra help here and there when they were younger, but they also find a way to to put the time in and do things the right way, you know? And, and that's every coach wants that, right? Like, are we not, you know, like we've all, Jeff, you're doing it. You're, you're coaching, right. With, it may not be on the ice, but your coach and, Tof, you're you're you were at Cornell for for a while. Like, as a coach, that's what you want, right? Guys that are willing to go the extra mile. Like, where we talk about will as a skill and, and do things that somebody else isn't. And that's kind of my my long winded answer. But I think that's kind of what it's all about. Well, let me ask you this because you mentioned it, like willing to do more than everybody else. And I feel like when kids hear that, they feel like it's like a grand plan thing, you know, like it's this big thing that they need to do maybe in the summer or hiring this crazy coach or whatever. But I mean, you guys have played pro hockey long enough. You're coaching it now, Kirk, like for me doing more than like everybody else is just doing the little things every day. Like that's, those are the guys that I've seen that I've played with that have gone on to do great things in hockey and and the players that I've coached that have gone on to do great things in hockey and have exceeded their potential. It wasn't like a big thing that they did. They just did. They were just consistent every day in their preparation to become a better hockey player and to do what's best for the team like that. That was it. So when you talk about like, you know, these, these people who end up making it doing more, like, is that kind of what you're talking about? Just that consistency in their preparation and their work ethic? Yeah, I think so. Like Vex, I I know. Well, I'm I'm almost positive we were both at that training camp, like with uh, with Chara, and he everybody in camp turned the music off. He geared down to his shorts and ripped off like what thirty something chin ups. You know, like two hundred and sixty five pounds of them, and his arms are how long? And and everybody's just in in awe, right? But it's just like there's a guy that's just willing to do more guys like him and Bergeron. Like, I still think that's why Boston is good year after year after years, because everybody else in that locker room has no choice, but to follow those guys. And those guys do everything right all the time. And I saw it for 10 days for a couple of years at training camp, you know, like I didn't see it for 82 games. I was, I was you know, we were just minor league guys that saw it for a glimpse of it, but 
to me, you're looking at it, you're like, well, if he can do it, then I better I better be making an effort to do that too, right? And it just bleeds into everybody else. Yeah, well, I think I think that's a great question, Toph, because I think a lot of kids, like you said, you're like, be consistent and be willing to do more. That doesn't mean every day you're breaking your body down and just working until you die. That's not what that means. It's like you said, it's it's the little things. It's every meal. Okay, somebody put a whole bunch of, you know, maybe you're a guy who's a little heavier trying to lose some body fat. Are, are you going to eat that extra roll of bread or are you going to grab a vegetable instead of two bread rolls? You know what I mean? Late at night, are you going to make that healthy food choice or are you going to eat ice cream? Like, yeah, that ice cream tastes effing delicious. We all know that. But if you're a guy who's on the bubble for body fat and you're going to junior or college or pro and you're going to get tested, are you going to grab that ice cream over and over again? Or are you going to grab, you know, a protein shake or a vegetable or a healthy option? That's that consistency thing. Are you going to get to the rink at the same time every day and do your warm up? Make sure you're taking care of your body. Or are you going to sail in at the last minute because you can and still be pretty good? That Well, if you want to do extra, get there early and you want to do, you want to, you want to um, achieve extra, like exceed your potential or reach your potential. It's those little things, doing them every single day, not just a little bit here and there, because that's not how you become great. It's all the time, if that's what you want. Yeah, yeah, amen. Couldn't have said it better. I love it. <laughs> hey, thanks. <laughs> uh, well, okay, Mac, I got a question for you here because – you, know, you transitioned from player to coach pretty much right away after you were done uh, playing, and uh, you were a volunteer at RPI, your alma mater, um, for a little bit, and then uh, you obviously became an assistant coach at uh, at Reading. Something that something that I talk to kids about all the time is like, there's so many things that I know now as a coach. I wish I would have known as a player. You just get so much more perspective and experience being on the other side of the bench, just kind of coaching and teaching and stuff. Um, what What's like the biggest thing that you've learned going from in front of the bench to behind the bench? And what kind of wisdom would you kind of give maybe kids today like that you would have maybe wished you learned when you were younger? Whew, that's a good question. It's all you we know, do here. It's all we do here. Usually Jeff gets those, but. Unbelievable. <laughs> no, I honestly, I. I think one is that guys are so worried about scoring goals and getting points that they, f- they forget the detail of the game, but the detail of the game is what's going to get you goals and points. And it's kind of like they want to put the cart before the horse. A lot of times I think as players and coaches don't want to play guys who are liability. So yeah, you might score 20, but if you're responsible for 40, what good are you? You know, and and I think that's kind of something now looking back, like, yeah, I think I played pretty good on the defensive side of the puck, but to build on that, like, even in the American League, looking back, like, I was so concerned about, you know, am I getting points or whatever, when, like, if I was going to make it at the next level, it wasn't because I could score, you know, and it's not necessarily going out and fighting guys, but am I good enough, like, defensively, is how's my penalty killing ability, you know, where am I can I be a guy who can play this play center and wing and take faceoffs and, and be relied upon in that aspect instead of worrying necessarily about, okay, if I get a couple points here, they'll put me on the power play. Like who, whose job in the NHL am I taking on the power play? Nobody's, you know, like, <laughs> but at the time, like 
you know, as players, you're all kind of delusional and thinking about that at the next level and points and all this kind of stuff where I think the guys with good habits and, and they do things the right way, they end up getting rewarded with points anyways. You know, Bergeron. Bergeron. Why does he score? Because he does yeah. everything right, the little things, and then he gets the puck back and then he transitions to offense. That's why he's so good. Exactly. And I think guys at my level, same thing. Like Guys are like so worried about their goals and their assists, but it's like – the American League team calls me and they go, I need a guy who can play fourth line and he's going to be responsible and I don't know how long the call-up's going to be. Well, maybe it's not necessarily the guy who's leading the league and scoring. It's the guy who's a third liner who's unbelievable in the penalty kill and he can win 70% of his face-offs, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think for a guy that I trained that played for you, Mike Hunterbrinker, there's a reason that he got called up to the American League a couple times. He started off getting healthy scratched five games in a row by you and he's calling me freaking out like i'm not gonna make it in pro i haven't even got a chance yet then he winds up being a 20 goal scoring and called up to the american league and that his first year and then last year he winds up playing over 20 games in the american league and he lights up the coast when he's there but why because he started doing the little things that got him in the door he's playing fourth line for you or third line in the coast his first year and then he gets a little more rope from you and then he gets to while he's playing like a bergeron defensively smart that transitioned him into getting points and it just kind of took off from there. But like you said, you can't put the cart before the horse. Yeah. I, I really think guys and everybody's like that, like it's, and it's hard to get out of that until you're on the other side, right? Like looking back and as a coach, you're like, well, is this guy going to be a liability? And now trying to get guys, it's, it's hard to get guys to see it. And as a coach, that's kind of our responsibility to show them the way. Right. But at the same time, there's got to be ownership by the, the players to understand that. But definitely when I was playing and I was no different than anybody else, you're like, ah, I got to do this. I got to do that. Where, you know, it's not necessarily about that, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny that we're talking about this. Cause I just got back from working Ryan Hardy's experience, uh, the other day and, you know, I get the chance to, to talk to, you know, a lot of really good guys like Danny Muse with, with Nashville, got to talk to him and watch him do a presentation on habits. And I sat in a hotel room with Nerado for about an hour and he's going through some stuff that he does with the Red Wings, just fundamental type stuff. And I think it's funny because like I talked to Nar about just like the stuff that he works on is just like fundamental stuff that hockey coaches in like peewees and squirts think that kids don't need to work on like shooting mechanics and like weight shifts and just like typical stuff that the best, literally the best players in the world are working on their fundamentals all the time. They're working on those little things. They're working on those details every single day and how important it is. So when you talk about like not putting the cart before the horse, like I sat in a room with what I think are like four or five of one of the top hockey minds in the game right now. And we talked about fundamentals and how they work on fundamentals with the best players in the world. It's crazy, right? Or is yeah, it not? <laughs> I, well, you speak of the devil. We, we were at Flyers Development Camp. Like it's like hockey camp 101. The first couple of days, like we just shooting the puck the right way. You know, handling under handling the puck, right? Like simple stuff that because most of these kids at this level are so good, they've just been allowed to just do whatever they want. And now you get to a level where okay, if my habits aren't good, I'm not going to play. And now these teams, like, this is the NHL, and they're sitting there like, okay, where's your hand position, right, on your stick? Like, 
how are we entering, engaging in a puck battle? Like trying to talk to guys about how, how you're engaging and where you're engaging the battle to win a puck battle instead of just like, okay, we're doing a battle drill. You know, like it's just, I think it's awesome, right? Like I loved it, but it's just so funny. Like you go to hockey camps or you see youth hockey and nobody talks about it, right? And then the higher level now you're seeing at this level and now that's all everybody's talking about. At the higher levels, but like I still, I go on the ice with a bunch of different teams since I work with so many different age groups and I'll get out there and obviously, you know, hopefully I'm only out there a couple times, but like I'll see coaches with teams working on breakouts and on four checks and these kids are 13 and yes, they're triple A players. But like you said, again, that's kind of like a cart before the horse thing. Like, yeah. let's teach them to shoulder check. Let's teach them hand positioning. Let's work on weight shifts. Like, let's work on all those things in the beginning of the year so much and have all that that team system stuff be kind of a secondary thing in the practice. Yes, I still think, obviously, you need to coach that. You need to teach that, get them to learn that stuff. But, like, none of that matters if they can't do all of the fundamentals and there's so many little intricacies of the game where coaches just, Oh, let's play fast and let's do this and let's do that. And let's work on scoring. Well, why don't we work on stopping and starting first? You know, I mean, come on. Isn't isn't player, doesn't player development, good player development lead to good structure in a team. I believe so. Right. Like it's like, like you're talking, you just said it. It's just, we were having this exact same conversations a couple weeks ago you know, with, with some pretty smart dudes. And it's just, uh, I completely agree with you. Well, how much of that are you doing at the East coast level? And for the parents that are listening or the kids that are listening that don't know the, the professional hockey ranks in the United States go the NHL, the AHL and the East coast. And there's guys every year who start off in the East coast that wind up in the NHL that year. Is it a large number? No, but it does happen. And there's a lot of guys who are drafted or have been drafted recently that are playing in the East coast league. It is a very good hockey league. And there's a lot of head coaches in the NHL who started off in in the East coast league too, for sure. One of them is going to be Kirk McDonald, who we're talking to today. Hey, oh, but like, what what are your kind of practice structures and <laughs> philosophies looking it, like, Mac? Honestly, it, it changes depending on the like time of year. Um, more important because, as you know, in, at our level, the grind of January, February, March, like, not a lot of practice happening. Uh, more video, but early in the year, a lot of pace. If our goalie coach definitely like goes on the ice first, like we're doing a small ice game to start whether something to get, get the guys going. I, I think the guys get dialed into practice faster if, if we do that. And I'm big on just not necessarily doing systems, but more like, okay, this is how our mentality as a team is going to be. Does that make sense? Like we're going to do drills where it's up and down and there's going to be back pressure and you got to make decisions under pressure, but you have the freedom to make plays. You know, like we'll probably do – you know, we'll do one D zone drill that's pretty structured and we might do something in the neutral zone and, but we won't spend a ton of time on it. It's more stuff working on playing in transition and, and just with good back, like I said, good back pressure where we can, the guys have the ability to make plays, but it's more talking about our mentality as a team's going to be instead of just necessarily, okay, we're going to go do neutrals on four check now, and then we'll do D zone. Like, yeah, we're going to do it, but it's more in a fluid situation where, like I said, guys are able to actually go out and play hockey instead of standing there 
picking their nose or looking at the coach on the board. Like, you know, I'd rather go through practice in 45 minutes and never go to the board than go through practice in an hour and a half and I'm talking the whole time. Like, nobody wants to hear me talk, right? Well, now well, they hopefully do. our podcasters do. Yeah, yeah. podcasts <laughs> do, but in practice they don't, right? And I think it's, as we go through the year, my guys know, like, we've kind of got the staple of drills that I want us to be about. And it's like, hey, Kate, we're doing these three drills to start. Everybody know what we're doing, right? And we're going, and as long, I won't even stop it as long as they're doing it right. I'll stop it if we're, you know, effing around and the habits are bad. Like I think I've noticed a lot of guys I bring in from other teams, like they come in and they chop the puck. It's like, don't do that. Like stop it. Like just cause it's a coast doesn't mean you get a free pass for having shitty habits. Right. Like I, I that's kind of my opinion. Like guys all bitch and moan about not getting an opportunity at the next level. And what well, the next level you're expected to do this. So we're going to do it here. So when you go up, like at least you're ready, you know? And I think that's again, like where our league as a whole struggles where we don't do enough of that, like worrying about player development. Like I think the best thing to happen to our league is Newfoundland winning the championship last year because the Maple Leafs like literally went in there and turned that team into like an American league style organization where everybody was under a contract, American league contract. Like, yeah, it's hard to compete. We got to play them 12 times a year and they're really good, but yeah, it forces me to do my job better. And, and I think it's better for the league because they won a championship with, three older guys and everybody else is first and second year guys. So like now it's starting to look like, as I said, development wise, right. Instead of just, okay, we're all old guys and we haven't made it. We're just going to collect a paycheck until we get a job. Like it's guys that want to be hockey players and want to develop and work on the game and watch video and, and do the things you got to do to be a hockey player. Yeah. Well, that's sure. like that old, that's like that old saying dress for the job you want, not the job you have. And, and <clears throat> one of the things that I try and live by is like, you're either preparing to succeed or you're preparing to fail. <clears throat> Excuse me, yelling at kids all day. Or you're preparing, you're either preparing to succeed or you're preparing to fail. And you're preparing to fail by your lack of preparation. So if your goal, whether you're 30 or 22, is to get back in the American League, what's going to get you there? Preparation, getting ready for when you get that opportunity and you get that call. You might go up there for one day, but if you're going up there for one day, you go up there prepared and ready to knock it out of the park so they can't send you back. That's what your mindset has to be, no matter what level you're at. If you're trying to go from A to double A or double A to triple A or juniors to D1, like prepare to succeed or else you're going to fail. Well, I think it actually does matter the level that you're at a little bit because, uh, I mean, when you get older, I think the onus goes a lot more on the players to prepare the right way. I mean, but even at the older levels, even at your level, K-Mac, like coaches have to help kids learn how to prepare too. I think that's a big part of it. Like, I think, especially at the younger ages, but you coach pro, like I've coached colleges, like kids at those levels don't even necessarily know how to do it. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's up to us as coaches to provide them with a little bit of a framework and a little bit of a plan, both off the ice, kind of like in what they're doing, how they prepare before they get to practice and all that kind of stuff. But also during our practice too, because, um, you know, talking about, being prepared and working on the habits. Like if you think stick pressure is a really important habit and you kids need to be prepared for that, you're like, you got to work on that in practice. You got to incorporate that somehow and talk about it. So I think a lot of the onus does go on the coaches too, to make sure that kids and players know how to be prepared. What do you, what do you guys think about that? I think if you let guys off the hook, then it's kind of the players, the players are going to take as much rope as you give them. Oh, right. Yeah. 
And I think, you know, we, guy we talked about earlier, like Monty, like, you know, you knew where everything, this, this, what the standard was, right? And I think that's, it is on the coach to develop those habits because, yeah, like maybe at our level, we're not babysitting them what they eat and then, you know, what their pregame routine is, whether they want to sit and have a coffee for half an hour or play sewer ball or they go ride the bike, you know, like I'm not going to probably stress to them, you know, be all over them about that. But when practice starts or when we're doing video, like, are you dialed in? So the habits that happen on the ice, you keep doing them every day. They're not, you know, I think they just stop being habits. They're just what you are, you know, like that's kind of my, my opinion on it, but you're absolutely right. I think it is up to the coach to make sure guys do are doing things the right way. Cause like that's said, hard as a coach too, right? Like that's really hard because you have however many players on a team, and if you really want to s- make sure that detail is important, like you got to be freaking locked in when you're doing your video sessions and doing your your practices too. Oh, absolutely! Like you know, like if you if you let it slide after a while, and it's like when does it slide? It slides when it's most important, right? And it's like ah, I really won't stop on that puck in the third period. Well, then it's a game winning goal, like you never know what the most important play of the game is until the game's over. Right. So your habits are good. You know, that's, what's going to help you, especially if you're, you've got a team that might not be as talented as the one you're up against. Right. Like those are your habits. That's what is kind of going to get you through. I think like if you do things the right way, you're going to give yourself a chance more often than not. Well, as a team or as an individual, yeah, absolutely. Jeff, like, what do you think about that in terms of, you know, when you were playing pro Because you were one of those guys that was really, I mean, that was a reason why you got to where you got to is because you focused on that stuff a lot of the time. Um, did you have, like, how did you get that as a player? You know, like, I, was it something that was learned? Was it something that was kind of instilled in you by coaches? Like, what, what would you say to that? No, I mean, honestly, I think my biggest teachers were the things that I talked about earlier was getting cut twice from like teams that I really wanted to make. And and my first year, you know, I talked about it on our first ever podcast, my first year at AAA in seventh grade, I played two shifts a game. And in my head, I was like, I'm way better than this. But clearly the coach doesn't think so. So my parents were like, well, it doesn't matter what you think. It's what the coach thinks. And so they said to me, either work harder and smarter, or you're not going to play hockey anymore. So I just took it upon myself to be like, okay, I'm not going to leave any rock unturned. I'm going to get the most out of myself and I'll never be able, I never want to look back and and wonder why. So it was just, luckily, I, I don't know why, but it was something I cared. Like I have so many guys that I train that I do believe care and they'll do everything they can. But then there's those kids that you see and they're, you know, Kirk and I played with guys in Providence and in, in Boston and, and wherever we played in pro where you see that they have like NHL star potential, but they don't put in the work to reach that potential. I and remember the first rounder we played that, that we could probably say that about for a couple of years. Absolutely. I know exactly. You know, it, it, and for me, there's nothing more sad than a guy who can't figure out that they're not that good to reach their potential unless they do those little things. And it's been my whole goal, my whole life for me to reach my potential. And I know that that means I have to put in work. And now it's my goal to find a way to get these kids and pros that I train to, to, 
push the buttons that they figure it out because I hate seeing guys that don't figure it out. And in today's game, it doesn't matter how good you are naturally. If you don't do everything you can to reach your full potential, you're not going to make it. Whatever make it means, if that means making it to junior, making it to college, making it to pro, you, you just, you have to do more. Give more, be more. You got, you have to give more to be more. Honestly, like it, it's so true. If you don't give everything you have, you're not going to reach your full potential. Hashtag give more, be more. Jeff Levecchio. That's right, baby. That's right. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. Well, well, K-Mac, let me ask you another question because you spent three years as an assistant coach uh, in Reading, uh, but then you, the past three years you spent as, mm-hmm. uh, as a head coach. I honestly think – I've said this before about USHL coaches, how I think it's the toughest job in the world, but I think East Coast League head coach might be the toughest job in the world. And I was looking at a couple – I'll take that. I was looking at one of your seasons, your first year. You guys went through 10 goalies in one year. Yeah, we went through eight last year. Eight goalies last year. So, uh, you know, and a lot of times it's a good thing in terms of like, you know, you know, your guys are getting called up or whatever. Like, that's always good. But like your your um, your roster is always in flux and you like you never know what you're going to get. Injuries, call ups, guys retiring quit salary cap salary whatever it may be right so like how do you i find this an interesting question how do you deal with um coaching when like a lot of times the guys that you're coaching don't know the systems they're there for five games and you kind of have to like put a smorgasbord of a of a lineup together like how do you kind of handle that that's gotta be tough i mean you kind of got to lean on the core group of guys that know and hopefully have good leadership that is going to help explain some of the stuff for you on the fly for guys, you know, yeah, it, it can be tough. Like there's, I mean, we lost last week in the span or last year in the span of like 10 days, we lost like six guys to call-ups and it was just like, what'd you do? I don't know. Can't remember. <laughs> Did you play? <laughs> I thought about Reggie playing. Dunlop, player coach. Reggie Dunlop. <laughs> We, we lost both goalies. Uh, we lost a defenseman, and then we lost four forwards. And, like, the four forwards are all 30-goal guys. D-man was high-end. Like, it was like, okay, where's the hockey team that we had a really good team? <laughs> Where was this really good team that we just had go? But, I mean, I think that's why guys from our level have success because when they get to the American League, like, all they have to do is coach. It's easy. Like, everybody's like, oh, my God, that must be a tough job in the American League. Like, well, all you got to do is coach. Like, that's so easy. Like, I, can, I can't imagine what it's like to just have to coach a team. Like, you know, we're doing salary cap, managing the roster. Like, my assistant and I have been on the phone before this podcast all morning, like, calling guys. Like, now our recruit – this is recruiting season. Like, this is – it's game time now. Like, you're you're building your success right now for October, November, December. And it's, it's a grind. Like – we found out we didn't have a goalie last year at two in the afternoon for a game. And we had a game at seven oh. o'clock at night. <laughs> we dressed Nick Neaters, legendary e-bug, uh, 38 years old. And he made, hadn't played a game in three years and he made 38 saves and we won two one in front of the <laughs> building. Unreal. And wow. it was uh, like, we thought we'd won the Stanley cup. Like it was unbelievable. Like we are un- unbelievable. But I mean, like that's kind of stuff. Like you're just like par for the course. Like, you kind of have to just start rolling. You start 
you start to just roll with it, you know, and you're going to lose guys to call ups and stuff's going to happen. Like it's almost like you have to build a, your bottom end guys should be guys that can play every game. So when the call ups happen, you're not p- putting in absolute shrapnel into your lineup. Like there's guys that are always going to be unhappy when the season starts because they should be in the lineup. Like Hunter Brinker was a great example. He should have played from opening night, but if he was in the lineup opening night, then we had some real, our, the guys that came in when we did start to lose guys would be not very good. And it sucks to be a young guy at our level because you're going to have to probably eat it for a little bit to earn your spot unless you really, really, really like obviously that you have to play right away because there's going to be guys with NHL experience starting the year in our league because it's their, they can't find a job. And it's just kind of the way it has to be done. And it sucks for some guys, but it lasts for a month and then all of a sudden they're in the lineup and they're scoring 20, 30 goals and it's all forgotten. Right. But it's, it's tough. It's tough for players. It's tough for coaches because there's more contracts now. So if you're on an ECHL deal, it's, it's harder to necessarily stick, especially if you're a young guy. Um, but that's how you got to do it. Cause we got a roster limit. So it's not like you can go and be like, all right, I'm starting the year with 30 guys because I know I'm losing half the team in a month. Like you've got 22 roster spots and you can dress 18 of them. And when you start losing guys, you got to find guys to fill in and you're going to have to call guys up or claim guys on waivers at some point. And now more and more guys, I feel like are going to Europe <clears throat> earlier because they know, okay, well, when you sign in Europe, you're usually there for the whole year. It takes a big, something bad's got to happen or you got to really not be living up to your end of the deal when you sign over there to get cut mid-year and they can make more money tax-free and, you know, maybe it's not as good of a league for some of the lower leagues, but like, you know, I feel like when we were playing guys stayed in the coast way longer guys that stay hang around in the American league way longer. And now they're like, Oh man, I can make the same money or more money tax free. I don't pay my agent. The team pays my agent. The team pays for a car. The team pays for an apartment. You play 30 less games, you know, the season's shorter. So now you're dealing with guys having to leave and, and not try and get that battle to make the AHL or make the NHL. So I'm sure that's putting a little bit of stress on the coast and the AHL as well. Yeah. Like you're more like, I think the balancing act is that there has been a lot of guys getting guaranteed like American league deals that are playing in our league. Like we had a little bit of issues last year, none of the fault of our affiliate, but it was uh, some stuff on our end that helped that didn't help us get what we were probably supposed to um, at the American league level, you know, so far or from the American league level and it affected us on the ice. We got, we were supposed to have two goalies from Philly and we got one and that was kind of the downfall of our season. Right. But I think guys, there's a lot of guys willing to play in our league. I think if they're on an American league deal, just because the money's still pretty decent, right? Like even if you're on a two way and it's guaranteed, I think guys would like to stay in North America if they could keep making the money, but you're right. Like, it's like, okay, am I going to play for 600 bucks a week or am I going to play for 35 or 40,000 euro tax free? which is like making a hundred thousand dollars over here, you know? So yeah, you understand it, but the league's younger. The NHL is younger. The American league's younger. Our league's younger. Like it's all kind of, yeah, guys are going over earlier, but everybody in the league, there's a few vet guys that you have that are local or from around. Like we had five guys from around the area last year and a couple of them are coming back and a couple of them retired. And that's the coast. Like every year is an expansion team in my opinion. Right. Like that's just how our league is. Like you're building a new team every every year. And there's 
it's a grind and, but you know what I'm, it, it's still, it's enjoyable, but it's a grind, right? You know, but. Absolutely. Very cool. Absolutely. Well, part of that grind, you're an emotional, you're an emotional player. I remember playing against you. Maybe emotional is not the right word, but you, you worked hard. Um, I'd say really, emotional. Really hardworking player, maybe. But uh, from, from what I understand, you know, I was able to, uh, able to talk to a rival coach in, in your league there, uh, K-Mac. And uh, he was telling me uh, about a story of maybe, maybe maybe there was a water bottle throwing uh, incident that you had, uh, well, you know, after after a game. Um, well, maybe so, I said oh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. so why don't I don't know if it was uh, maybe at the ref, not at the ref, just throwing a water was, bottle somewhere on the ice. T- talk to us a well, little bit about that. Way, the call was so bad, I didn't get fined for it. So. <laughs> What happened? I don't know this story. So about four minutes to go, we're in Worcester, and we're up 3-2. And there's a play at the net, scoring chance. And our guy goes, and the defenseman misses on the stick lift and just high sticks our guy right across the face, like blood everywhere. Obviously, the official's looking right at the play, and no call. They literally go down on the line rush and score and tie it up. And you're like... What is you're kind of you're obviously not nobody's in a good mood, and then they go down about 45 seconds to go. Who was it? I think it was Tyler Barnes, like really good player at our level, veteran guy. Uh, great tip. Puck was going like three feet wide on a point shot, and he just tips it back right into the middle of the net. Like it was a great play, but obviously never should have happened because we should have been on the power play for four minutes instead of them scoring two goals. So needless to say, I was not too happy after the uh, the game uh, in that situation. But that kind of stuff, there's no instant replay. There's only one official, so it's kind of – it happens, right? You were, like, you were just placing the water bottle out there in case he – because he probably was dehydrated, right? Yeah, he was thirsty. He was dehydrated, you know. Yeah, he was thirsty. It was the last game before Christmas break. He was. We were all excited, wanted to get home, so – he, just, he thought he was going to skate into the water bottle and, <laughs> it and drink it. it was, you were helping him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I love it. Well, we should end things there, but this was, uh, this was awesome, K-Mac. It was so cool to, to talk hockey with you here, and I think there's a lot of really good things that, uh, that came out of this podcast, but uh, also just to kind of shed some light on your story and, and how you got through some of those tough times that you had and, and better than before. I mean, I think that's uh, – as inspiring as we've had on this podcast for sure. So we want to thank you very much for, for taking the time to, to hang with us today and, and bust Jeff's balls a little bit because uh, we always love when our guests come on and do that. So uh, really appreciate it and uh, good luck with all the recruiting and signings and stuff for this summer. Yeah. Thanks guys. I really appreciate having you on and uh, been a pleasure. Thanks, right. K-Mac. You're a great man. I'm happy your teeth are in for this. <laughs> ah, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right, boys. We'll see you later. We'll see you.